On this episode of the Franchise Academy, we are addressing one of the toughest issues for new entrepreneurs and franchise owners, which is sales. We're bringing in Joe Bazzillo, who has dedicated more than 40 years of his life to entrepreneurial pursuits, B2B sales, and organizational leadership. So Joe's going to give us all sorts of great information and how to tackle everyday sales challenges. So Joe's been around the block quite a few times and even acted in roles, very high executive roles in Aflac and Transamerica, has built multi-billion dollar or million dollar companies, at least for Fortune 500 companies. He is a writer, a speaker, an executive level coach. He's a three-time published author, has currently two businesses that he's running, the SEL Source, which is uh, an online mentorship platform for sales professionals. And he also co-founded Advance AZ, which is membership-only small business community or business owner community in the Phoenix Valley. So it's like a think tank. He's also an investor, owns a lot of uh, properties in um, high-end real estate in Scottsdale, where he lives. And he and his wife, Beth, also are very involved in fundraising efforts that benefit breast cancer with their charity called Buzz and Roses. So listen in, we've got some great nuggets coming at you in the realm of sales. It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. And welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. This is where we bring you everything you ever needed to know about franchising, everything that you ever needed to know about operating a business as well. Small business or franchise, doesn't matter. So I like to bring in industry experts, and that's why I brought in an old friend of mine, Joe Bazzello. So Joe is, is the sales guy, and he will help us understand some things that you might have never understood before. So Joe... Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tommy. Good to be on here. Thanks for inviting me. No, this, this is really cool. This, I found this little book, you know, in wow. the library. And I actually, this is a signed copy, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's worth uh, nothing on eBay. No, <laughs> it's probably worth a few bucks. <laughs> it's, it's worth a lot. There's so many golden nuggets in the cap equation. It'll blow your mind. And actually, when you release it, actually, is when we first met in New York, if you remember. Yes. We were at the uh, Publicity Summit uh, with the Steve Harrison group back then. Right. And um, Great coaching group. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. But here we are four years later, and you're killing it. You just moved. I think you're a California native who moved. That's right. 55 years in California and three years ago. We relocated to Scottsdale. We're loving it here in Scottsdale. I miss my friends in L.A., but Scottsdale is a great place to live. And it's a great place to play golf. Yes, right? <laughs> which I will be doing in about two hours. <laughs> yeah, awesomeness. Oh, my God. And so you actually played with – what was your involvement with the PGA? Well, I was an assistant professional. I was a teaching professional for a couple of years in Los Angeles, and I played on – the mini tour is a Golden State tour, but I was playing against guys. In fact, Tom Lehman was on the Golden State tour at that time, and, and he's now a 
you know, he's a British Open winner and a, a senior a champion golfer. So I was playing with a lot of guys that were a lot better than me. They could putt better. They had better temperaments. And so I didn't pull too many checks. So that was my very short stint as a professional golfer. Then I went back into sales after that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'll tell you, if I, when I, I'm actually going to be in Tucson in a couple of months. But if I get up to Scottsdale, I have, actually I have cousins in Scottsdale on both sides of the family. We'll go well, out. We're, we're Italian. We have cousins everywhere, right? That's true. That's <laughs> right. And, and so we'll go out and, and play around. But I got to, after one you, I play exclusively in the 60s and 70s. So you don't play the back nine? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I do. I play all 18. But once the temperature goes to like 80 or 90, I'm still pretty good. <laughs> I knew there was a joke there. I just didn't know the punchline. <laughs> We're going somewhere. And so I'll leave the comedy to my wife. So <laughs> being a stand-up comedian, she's uh, she's the one that does the joking around here. So, but anyway, I'm so happy to have you. And and the listeners, for the most part, are are you know franchise owners, people looking to buy a franchise. A lot of franchise companies, a lot of franchise attorneys, you know, a lot of decision makers. And I know that you do a lot of speaking uh, for these kind of organizations. Well, what's the what's the topic now that that are, is hot for you? You know, it's interesting. There, there's a couple things that uh, we have two primary businesses here that we build. We invest in businesses, but we have two that we primarily build here. One is really based right in Scottsdale and another one is virtual and, and scalable. But the one that's based right here in Scottsdale and the Phoenix Valley is called Advance AZ. And Advance AZ is a small business mentorship platform. We bring together diverse groups of small business owners, uh, industry diverse, and we put about 12 to 14 in a room once a month for three and a half hours and have in, intense sessions working through their issues, their challenges, their opportunities. And so I've learned a lot over the last two years of building that platform, and it's, it's growing like a weed right now. So we're very excited about the growth. We'll be at probably 50 or 60 members by the end of this year, beginning of January. But there are a couple things that I've, you know, it's funny, you get 12, 14 business owners in a room, and we have some franchisees, we have people in, in medicine, we have healthcare, uh, we have people in telecommunications, we have people in real estate, just so every industry you can imagine, HVAC, we have a cabinet coding company, we have all these wonderful CEOs, but when they first get together, when we first form a group, they think, well, I'm really not going to have the same problems as that person sitting across the table. And then that lasts for about 60 days. That lasts for a cycle of about two, three and a half hour meetings. And then they realize, hey, we all have the same problems. We sell different widgets, but we all have the same problems. I'm speaking to the choir. You know this truth. So there's a couple of things that we spend a great deal of time on, and we could probably go a little deeper, but we spend a, a lot of time actually on the numbers, knowing the numbers, knowing the metrics, getting the, the money right, getting the runway right. One of the things that I've learned is it always takes a business about twice as long uh, to get where they want to go, get over the hump, so to speak. So money's a big issue, talking about the runway, capital needed to get into business and to really stick and stay. A lot of people get that wrong. You see that too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, preaching to the choir, people do not ever have enough money. They think they have enough money yeah. uh, to, to start up. And so I, I caution my clients to make sure that they have, you know, three buckets of money covered, right? You got to, it's easy to open. You got the money for that. 
yeah. how long is it going to take you to actually make a profit? Because you don't make a profit day one in a business. Sometimes it could take six months or a year to make a profit in a business, depending on what it is, even longer. So what are you doing to survive with, with that? But the thing that most people forget is how they're going to pay their mortgage while they're trying to build a business. So you yeah. got to have like a third bucket in the background of money just to pay your home expenses and put food on the table and, and gas in the car, you know? Absolutely. So you're a great coach and mentor. I know that. So you see that too. You see that people go in and we go in bright eyed and bushy tailed with a lot of hope and we should have hope and with a lot of faith and we should have faith. But, but sometimes we just don't get the, the money right and we don't understand our numbers and metrics inside the business. You're so right. And, and I'm, I was definitely one of those people when I first started because I was a government guy and then I bought a franchise and I was operating out of a shoebox. And somebody said to me, so what, what KPIs are important to you? I was like, I don't know what a KPI is. So, um, I'm serious. And, and yeah, so, yeah, I get it. I understand. I'm like, wow, I, was, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. Uh, and then the franchise came in and, and really, once they realized that I was kind of off in left field, they kind of dragged me in and, and got me like, you know, right in the, you know, right in the baddest box. And, and, and then I ended up killing it. But the thing I was just sharing with somebody, I, I just got one of those indoor Peloton bike, you know, the stationary oh, bikes. Oh, yep, yep, yep. So you're on a, you know, there's a screen in front of you, and you feel like you're in the class, and all your numbers are on the bottom of the screen. And the instructor's saying, okay, I want you to be at a cadence of 80, which just means that you're going a certain, you know, whatever on the bike, you're going so fast. And I realized, so like, I looked down, all right, I'm at 80, I'm going. And then I looked down again, and I'm at 60. Cause I'm not watching the numbers. It's just like, that's that simple. Right. It's that simple. Yeah. You're not watching the numbers. They're going to slide away from you. That's right. That's right. So the, it's interesting. I think in the, in the words of Michael Gerber, the great author of the E-Myth and the E-Myth Revisited, yep. uh, he, he talks about this thing, this phrase I love entrepreneurial seizure. So many of the people that come to you, so many of the people that we coach at one point in time had an entrepreneurial seizure. They woke up one morning and said, I'm smarter than the guy I'm working for. So I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to hang my own shingle. And <laughs> that's how it happens, right? And then the numbers are, are tough. The, I'll tell you one other thing that we see again when we're, when we're coaching all these great CEOs and founders around the table attracting the right talent, getting the right people, I'm going to use the, the old analogy, getting the right people on the bus and then getting them in the right seat on the bus. Uh -huh. Just the management of the workplace culture, how to get the best of them, how to retain them, how to, how to have coaching sessions when coaching ses sessions are necessary, which is different than performance management. J just that stuff with the people. Let's say right. the product is right and you have the right location, and, and, and let's say you have a handle on your numbers. Do you see that as well? Do you see that just the attraction of the right people and getting in the right seat on the bus is a problem for almost everyone today, especially in a tight market? Oh, crazy, crazy. That's the number one challenge. So after I put somebody in, in a business, in a franchise, I typically stay in touch and we talk about once a quarter going forward. And, and I'm there to help and be a sounding board and all that stuff. But the problem I hear all the time is, is just that problem is hiring the right people, retaining the right people, and having them in the right seat. And, you know, when, 
when they said that to me, I'm going back 19 years, I said, you know what? I just want to make smoothies. I don't care about all this other crap. You know, <laughs> the business was not really about making smoothies at all. Right. Well, the, and that's where, again, I'm going to go back to, I, I think the, the E-Myth and Michael Gerber stuff is so great. Uh, we teach a lot of it, but the product is not the smoothie. The product is the profitable entity that makes a smoothie. So the product we're, we're trying to focus on is a profitable business. That's really the product. The underlying product is really just a vehicle for that. Ah, there you go. And, and very well said. I love that. So how did you get started in this whole thing? <laughs> you know, I, I actually had a guest on our podcast. We call it uh, Cell Source Radio, S-E-L Source Radio, Cell Source Radio. And, and we had, his name is Mike Maloney, he was on yesterday. And I thought I knew Mike, but there's one thing I didn't know about. Mike started in sales when he was 19 years old in 1979. And I started in sales when I was 18 years old in 1979. So we both laughed at that because we have been creating our own paycheck, both of us, for all those years. I don't even want to – that's four decades. That's over 40 years. So, wow. That's it. Yeah. It's, so I got started in direct sales, commission sales. So most of my career has been spent in the insurance and financial product and investment product industry. I have done some other things and had some success at creating other businesses and exiting other businesses. I've had success as a vice president, C-suite um, executive with Fortune 500 companies. So it's all good. I've had all that. But really, the impetus of it was my father saying, hey, you, you've graduated high school. You've already told me you're not going to junior college. You're not going to play PGA. I played high school golf. I got kicked off of my high school golf team. Funny story, because I had, I almost got in a fisticuffs, a fist fight with our high school golf coach. His name was Joe Margucci, another hard-headed Italian. And he used to play for the Detroit Lions, and he was a coach for USC. And he coached high school uh, golfers like you would coach football players and he got in my face one morning and there was some pushing and shoving and I was kicked off the golf team so I wasn't when I graduated later that year I wasn't going on to college because I wasn't going to play college golf and my dad actually his nickname was Buzz Buzz came with a camel uh, non-filter he smoked three packs a day eventually caught up with him um, God bless him he's in heaven he died from lung cancer not you know not a stretch of the imagination to believe that that could happen but Buzz, God love him, had that camel non-filter, and he came over, and I was having breakfast one morning, still living with my parents, obviously, because I had no money, and he put a newspaper in front of me and a red pen, and he said, it's your time to go find a real job. And at that point, I was working in a liquor store as a night manager of a liquor store, which he didn't consider to be a real job. So I answered this ad, and the ad was, uh, I need three people to call on my current accounts. Now... I thought, well, I could do that. I could whatever whatever they sell, I could call on their accounts. I that's not a problem. And it, I so it was a blind ad. I went in. I had the interview, and it it I wasn't going to be calling on accounts. It took me about two weeks to figure out that I was going to be cold calling, selling a thirty nine dollar accident, thirty nine dollars a year, not month, thirty nine dollars a year annual premium accident insurance policy for Pennsylvania Life. <laughs> out of their Van Nuys office. And I was actually in my second week of insurance license school before I realized there was no base pay <laughs> and I'd just be out there on the street. So I got started selling $39 accident 
products down the street in LA. Great train. <laughs> All happening by accident, as usual, right? That's usually yeah. what I hear. Yeah. That's amazing and amazing. I'm sure you got some really good nuggets out of that too, right? Some life lessons learned. Yeah, I mean, it um, It took me it, it took me about three weeks to figure out I was going to make it, maybe uh, four weeks. And I, I remember my direct report, his name is Tom Smith, who's one of my early mentors, a really great person, still living. He's in his mid-80s now. But Tom said, if the first month doesn't kill you, then you're going to be fine. <laughs> and so it took me about three, three and a half weeks to figure out I was going to make it. And it, it, what, there wasn't one seminal moment. It was just me waking up one morning and saying, I can do this. I sold three policies two weeks ago. I sold four policies last week. You know, I'm looking at that trend line. What if I could sell five or six this week? And I, I started really work in my mind i started working on the numbers that they asked us they had this little countdown to success card you're supposed to keep it in your breast pocket and every time you walked in the door you would check off that you walked in that door and you were supposed to walk in 60 doors a day if you can believe that supposed to call cold call on 60 small business owners a day and offer this safe drivers accident insurance policy uh, developed only for business owners so we would do that up until about 5 p.m. when all the businesses close, and then we drive into the neighborhoods and find trucks, you know, ABC plumbers, you know, Tories landscaping, and we go knock on the door and say, is that your truck? <laughs> and we gain entrance to the house. So you were supposed to uh, call on 60 doors a day. And when I actually followed the process that they asked us to follow, when I actually started calling on 60 doors a day, not worrying about who said yes and who said no, I started selling those policies like crazy. The numbers really work. Out of 60 doors you'd walk in, Tommy, about 15 people would say, sure, I'll listen to your pitch. And about five to six of those would buy at least one policy. Sometimes they'd add a wife or a key employee. And you'd write six, eight, ten units of business a day. So I started earning. And this, by the way, this was back in 1979. I know this doesn't sound like a lot of money. But I was an 18-year-old kid. And all of a sudden I was earning $500 a week, six, $700 a week, which was a lot of money back then. <laughs> right. Yeah. No question about it. And, and it's, there's so many little things that I heard there and I wish that we could keep on going on that. And it's, it's interesting. So what you're saying to like all the franchise owners is if you follow the system as crazy as it may sound, it actually works. There's a reason they're telling you to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Right. right. And, if, and if you paid, here's, here's a thought. If you paid X amount of dollars for that system, why in the heck would you not follow it? You, you paid a premium because a franchisor has a proven system. Why would you second guess it? The, to me, that's crazy. And, and if their system and their protocols and processes are that bad, then you need to run. You need to get your money back and run. But if you paid a premium for those systems, why would you get in and second guess it? That's to me, that's lunacy. Right. And, and what happens is they're not a lot of franchise owners don't second guess, but they're so busy putting out fires because they don't have the right people in the right seats back to your original statement. Right. So they don't have, they don't have the basis to the business down. Gotcha. So, so they forego the obvious things that need to be done. So it becomes organizational. 
And, and it also becomes the fact, you know, like, like Gerber talks about, you're a technician and all of a sudden you're a business owner. Uh, it's two different uh, mindsets and two yeah. different lifestyles for sure. So that's a big issue. Yeah, Gerber talks about the technician, the manager, and the visionary. Those are the three people he talks about. Most of us enter a business as a technician. Someone has told us, well, we bake great pies. He uses Sarah the baker in that book. So we, uh, we bake great pies. So that's why, yeah, I should open a pie shop. So we're a technician. We're baking those pies. We've got to move away from baking those pies. We've got to bake, the again, the entire business. We've got to work on the business versus in the business. And it's so hard to do. So we have to recognize, everyone listening has to recognize, regardless of whether it's a franchise business or not, you are going to be three different people at times. You, you need to be a technician part of the time, a manager of people, and a visionary. You need to be all three, and you need to balance that out. Uh, but, yes, you, uh, again, there are he, – here's a thought. This is something – this is one of the best pieces of advice ever given to me. Uh, there's a model for everything. There's almost nothing new under the sun, nothing that you or I could dream up and put in a book or put in a program. I, you know, I create a lot of – online content for sellsource.com and for Advance AZ. There's nothing we can dream up that's new under the sun. There's a model for every business. And really what we're looking to do is emulate that model. Can we tweak it, change it, fine tune it? Absolutely, but there's a model for everything. Do you agree with that? I, I believe that there's nothing new under the sun, absolutely. And if, and if you did dream up something new under the sun, <laughs> is there a market for it? Because it could sound like something great, and and I I kind of had that experience with my second franchise that actually failed on me because it sounded like a great concept, but it was brand spanking new, <laughs> and it, and it was called it was considered a what they call a make and take kind of situation. So you come to our location, you make meals following our recipes uh, using our ingredients, and you take them home and you freeze them uncooked. <laughs> and when day, on days when you're busy. Uh, you know, with golf practice and soccer practice, instead of ordering in pizza again, you could throw one of these home-cooked meals in and, 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 you know, you got a meal in 30 minutes that you made with your own hands. Sounded great. Everybody tried it once. Nobody tried it a second time. Well, most people never came back. <laughs> and what we realized is that we were trying to change people's habits. And right. without a lot of money and a lot of uh, time, uh, it's almost impossible to change people's habits because the even though that seemed convenient, at the end of the day, it wasn't really convenient. So, yeah, just you know, we could talk about it. That's a, you know, to me, that sounds like a great, deal, uh, a great idea on paper. <laughs> apparently, it was only a great idea on paper. But what you talked about is, is, is critical there, and I hope people listening uh, catch that, that there has to be proof of concept. If, if you're going to roll yourself out, and go all in and take a s substantial uh, piece of your nest egg and roll it into a business, there better be proof of concept. You better be looking for that. And one of the things that I also took out of what you said is that there's always an adoption curve. And you were trying to change people's behavior and habits. And the adoption curve, there was a, there was a great book, by the way, called Crossing the Chasm. Don't ask me who the author is. But it's about adoption, the adoption process and habits of consumers and it's mostly about technology but I believe it'll work in any business there there is an adoption curve and if you're pre-adoption you're wasting your time and money you actually have to see that these 
products, the, this process, the, these services have been adopted. So now if you came to me right now and said, hey, would you go and make meals and freeze them and then use them later? I'd say no, just give me a menu of meals that are already made <laughs> that are delivered to me by Amazon Prime overnight and I could unfreeze and use tomorrow or next week, I would do that. So our our habits now, we've adopted that we could buy things, have them here tomorrow, but we don't want to make them and we don't even have the time or inclination to make them. Yep. So it's, you know, that idea was, to me, that idea was partially right. But again, you could probably Google search pre-made frozen meals delivered in a day and have 10 competitors now that are clinging in that door. <laughs> Well, that that's exactly right, and and, and it's even things like uh, Blue Apron as an example. And Blue Apron is actually struggling because of the same reason. It sounds really good on paper, but now you got the meal in your home, and you got to assemble it and cook it. And you're like, you know, I could all they really did is save me going to the store. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so there are, and there are here where I live on Long Island. There, there's a great company that we just started with last week that actually has healthy organic meals already made and you, you know, you heat them up and that's it. They're done. And it, it's, it's not a weight loss program. It could be, but uh, it's portion controlled. So, so yeah. So anyway, not, not to digress, but you know, the adoption curve is something I never really heard of before. So I'm going to look for that book and thank you for that, Joe. Another great nugget. This is why crossing, we're friends. Crossing the chasm. Crossing the chasm is the name of it, but it's about, the, the adoption curve and the habits of people. But yeah, great book, Tommy. I am, that, um, I am writing that down. You would, you would love that. Crossing the chasm. Because uh, I, you know, I often share with people, like people like, they call me like, oh, we want a franchise, but we want, basically what they're saying, we want no competition. And if there's no competition, that means there's, it's not a proven concept. And, and so it's, that's just really fear talking, uh, you know, fear of being an entrepreneur. And, and I always share with people in the franchise world, in franchising, we don't invent concepts. Mc, McDonald's did not invent the hamburger. Midas did not invent uh, mufflers. You know, I mean, it's what we do is we take it and we systematize it so we could roll it out. And so the average person could get into the business and, and be a business owner. So when you are looking for a franchise, you're not looking for this, the cutting edge thing. You're not going to get into green technology. You're not going to get into cannabis, which everybody's talking to me about now. You're going to get into something that maybe is uh, an old, really old concept like painting or sewer. You know, I mean, this is, and those are the things that make money, real money, and things that are recession resistant and Amazon resistant to your point. <laughs> so they're in the neighborhood. Want to want to hit on one point, Joe? Not to change the subject, but you talk a lot about attitude of of the entrepreneur. Could you expand on that? You you were talking about mindsets and how that's really important, and I'm, I I believe that so wholeheartedly. So give me your take on it. So, in my first book, the CAP equation, the one you held up, C stands for competencies. I believe that you have to be a competent salesperson. You have to know what to say and the a is for attitudes and p is for pipeline practices seeing a lot of people but focusing on the a focusing on entrepreneurial attitudes for a moment i think that we have to have an attitude about the work when we go in 
and I use uh, 10,000 hours <laughs> as, a, uh, as an example, we have to be willing to put our 10,000 hours in. And, and it, it may be 5,000 hours, it may be 7,000 hours. But what that really means to me is we, we have to go in understanding that we're not going to know everything right up front. We're going to fail, but we're going to fail forward. We're going to probably use a lot of labels that are unproductive for us. We're going to use rejection, failure, crisis. You know, we attach a lot of labels, but to me, everything is a metric result. Everything we do in business, I've learned to remove the emotion from and view as a metric result. So I tried this. This was the metric result. I collect data, I look at data, I look at trend lines in my business, and it didn't work as well as I'd like. How can I tweak it? How can I improve it? There's no real emotion tied up in it. And what goes along with having a commitment to the work, understanding that I'm going to have to put in my 10,000 hours, I'm, in, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be an overnight sensation in this franchise business or whatever business I'm opening, there are going to be some comeuppance. I need to commit to the work and enjoy the work. I also need to wake up every morning. This is the second part of it. And I need to be willing to start over with a smile on my face. Okay. And that's what I was always willing to do in sales or in any business that I started. I was willing to put in my 10,000 hours to become an expert at my space and my role. I was willing to put in the work. I didn't label things with a lot of dramatic emotional labels like failure, rejection, crisis, or whatever. It was just a metric result to be analyzed and some possibly some competencies to be improved. Or maybe I needed to improve my pipeline to get more people in the door, so to speak, physically or virtually in the door. So almost everything could be reduced to that formula. Am I competent? Do I understand the industry I'm in? And and how to explain it and message it. Uh, am I coming to the table with some attitudes that are productive attitudes, productive mindsets? And mindsets, if you look at the definition, mindsets is a set of attitudes that drives behavior. And that's it's a very the attitude or mindset's an interchangeable word. And we often overlook that. We look just getting our head right and going into the scenario, going into the business prepared for war, because <laughs> the business is war, prepared for war, and understanding that we'll have to put in our 10,000 hours, we'll have to erase emotion from it, and guess what, tomorrow morning, if I had a horrible day, so what, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, and it's a brand new day, and like my wife says, Tommy, miracles happen every day. <laughs> it's so true, it's so true, and, and she's awesome, I, and I remember meeting her at, at one of our meetings. Again, so this is the, the CAP equation, so available on Amazon and, and all over the place. And this is what you're going to really learn about this attitude and, and everything that you really need to make something happen in your business. Whether it's a franchise or not, doesn't matter. This all applies. And if the 10,000 hours is really something important to understand. And it's not literally 10,000 hours and all that, but it's the fact that you're willing to do the work, that there are really no shortcuts. Everybody's looking for that shortcut. And there really isn't a shortcut. you got to become... Uh, the expert in, in your field, um, and and that's what we help people do. That's what you help people do. So I absolutely love that. And 10,000 Hours is something that we got out of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book. Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, if you've ever read any of his stuff, fantastic stuff. 
and that was his, his third book, Outliers. He talked about the right 2000s. outliers, and that was uh, uh, published in two thousand eight. But did you know that Malcolm Gladwell did not invent the term ten thousand hours? He borrowed that from Anders Ericsson, who was a Scandinavian philosopher that uh, hypothesized that to get to to become expert at anything that a person, a human being, would need to put 10,000 hours in. So a lot of people attribute 10,000 hours to our friend Malcolm Gladwell, but it actually was developed by Anders Ericsson to give credit where credit is due. I really... So again, nothing new under the sun, right? <laughs> you know, and that's right. And, and really, I didn't know that. So again, yeah. Interesting thanks, stuff. just another nugget. Thank you so much, Joe. That's awesome. Uh, one, one thing I do remember him talking about is the Beatles now everybody thought they yeah. were really an overnight success back in the right. 60s but they had played for 10,000 hours in clubs all over London before ever really breaking I didn't know that and I was you know music is my thing and I just thought that was a really fantastic thing to think about Yeah they do they they played the clubs in London then they went over for a year so they went over to Hamburg Germany if you remember in the book uh, Malcolm Gladwell who's a fantastic author does a great job of painting the picture that they were doing three sets a night of the same songs. And Ringo said recently in an interview that we were so good at what we were doing that by the end of that run in Hamburg, the third set every night, we could be singing our parts, playing our chords, hitting our beats, and actually having full conversations whispering to each other at the same time. That's how good they got. And so they weren't overnight sensations. Bill Gates, he talks about Bill Gates. Bill Gates uh, started programming when he was 14 years old, and his mother, through her influence, got him into a lab at Stanford, an early computer lab. So he'd been coding for five years <laughs> before he realized that he should purchase the a formula that became uh, Microsoft, the coding. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So you got to go to work. What uh, One thing I have to tell you is I'm very, very excited. A lot of people have asked, can you write a book just on attitudes? because attitudes are so important, as you know. And so we are actually in production right now for a book called Winning Sales Attitudes. It just kind of blows up. Just We spend the whole book talking about taking a deep dive on the attitudes. And I've actually collected about a dozen very, very talented, high-performing people that are becoming CAP Equation certified instructors. Oh, wow. And they're going to be co-authors in the book. And that book is almost done. So yeah, look for that. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, I love talking about just getting the head right. Because if you get the head right, Tommy, everything else falls into place. I, you know, I, I believe so. You, you got to have the attitude. You got to have the behavior. And, and you got to have the technique. And, and it's the practice in the 10,000 10, hours that, that really get you there. And, and a lot of times, and I've experienced this myself, when I'm attacking a project, if my attitude is not right, I could look back at it after it fails and realize that it was really my attitude that made it not work. And again, this, this is a whole nother podcast. So when that book is finished uh, at the release or pre-release, let's, let's do a podcast just on attitude. It's, I would, I would love you. That'd be awesome. Most important thing in business is attitude. And, you know, like they say, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, you just have to get up. And that's, um, that's all attitude. It's all, it's, it's the behavior. It's it, uh, it just, and that's what I talk about in the magic of choosing uncertainty. My, my first book is, is just, you know, the, the choices that you make and, and success or failures is, is 
Yeah. Uh, that, that, by the way, that's sitting on my bookshelf. You can't see it here, but I'm in my home office studio and it's sitting in my bookshelf over there. That is a great book. There's so many nuggets in that book. Everyone listening to this should read that. Just, uh, you know, because our, we wake up every morning, hopefully, ready to fight another battle and win another battle. But we do wake up with uncertainty and it causes resistance. And we have to recognize that and beat it down every morning. That's it. I, I beat it down every morning. It's it, that resistance, the fear of not succeeding, all that stuff. It's normal. I thought I was the only one. And I realized everybody kind of has that in, in business. I, I think I I might have, there's nothing new under the sun, but I, I think I coined the phrase, you never find an atheist in a business. <laughs> so you pray a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It's a real, it's a real roller coaster for sure. And yep. you know, it's the old, the acronym of fear. This is the, and I didn't invent this. I stole this, but fear, it actually stands for false evidence appearing real. Right. Um, and some of us have heard that, and that's what fear is. It's false evidence that appears real to us until we pull the monster out of the closet and we identify. I like to name fears. I, I fear prospecting or cold calling. Okay, good. Let's give it a name. And now the monster isn't as scary anymore because it has a name and we brought it out of the closet into the light and we can deal with it. So that's the way we teach. And I'm sure you teach dealing with fear. Well, let's just identify it first, bring it into the light, start to deal with it. Right. That's, and that is the way to do it. I just read yesterday, danger is real. Fear is a choice. Yeah. I love that. I don't know who said it. And then also, Mark Twain, and I have to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly, but he said, Mark Twain said something to the effect of, I feared many things in my life and none of them, almost none of them came to pass. Yeah. I remember that quote. Yeah. So, Joe, I want to thank you for being on. How could people get in touch with you and pick your brain more about everything that you're doing? Very easy. We have a home site, CellSource, S-E-L-Source.com. And we have a sell-on-demand program. By the way, sell, the acronym SEL stands for salespeople, entrepreneurs, and leaders. That's who we attract. That's who we talk to. If there are sales leaders out there, entrepreneurs, or professional high-level salespeople, that's who we like to talk to. So SEL, sellsource.com. And I'm one of those funny guys that actually returns emails. If someone emails me and tells me, hey, I love one of your books. I have, my second book was called Drawing Circles. I think it's uh, over there. That actually was a work of fiction based on a true story. And then my third book, uh, Life in Sales, Volume 1. So they're all on Amazon. But my email address, and I, if a fan of the book wants to ask a question, I usually return the email within 24 to 48 hours, is jbuzzello, J-B-U-Z-Z-E-L-L-O, jbuzzello at me, M-E dot com. I have other email addresses, but that's the shortest one, Tommy. <laughs> and that's great. And I'm going to put it all on the website, thefranchiseacademy.com. So check that out. Joe Buzzello, thank you so much for being on. My and, pleasure. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to tell you, I've known you for a little while. And if, you're even, if you even have the inkling of buying a business, uh, becoming a franchisee, this is the guy that you need to talk to and work with. Uh, he has so much wisdom, so much knowledge. So thank you. I, you know, as, as one pro to another, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thank you, and thanks for saying that. I feel humbled. Thank you so much. But we're going to get Joe's information out there, reach out to him. It's going to be an awesome conversation that you could have with Joe. He's very, very open, so do it. Got some great, great experience, 40 years of experience. 
So you, are you stuck on something with sales, something not working in your business? Get in touch with Joe. He'll help you right out. It's uh, and, um, He's just an amazing guy. By the way, thank you for all the uh, the charity work that you're doing with the uh, Cancer Society and everything. That is just awesome. I just wanted to mention that. Well, uh, you're welcome. It's a great uh, – it comes from the heart with us. It really does, and I really appreciate that. So, again, God bless you, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Have a great uh, week and weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Joe. Be well. Thanks. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.